Welcome to the Pollination Mamas podcast. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land where I live, the Biripai people, and all other First Nations people within Australia. I aim to bring you collaborative conversations, cross-pollinating as we span our wings, connecting the threads of ancestral wisdom in a modern context so that we can live a nurtured life. I believe ancestral wisdom provides a roadmap to a regenerative culture, contributing to thriving communities, healing and health. The gorgeous little song that you heard in the intro and the outro is called The Littlest Birds. It was performed by the Oluca family band from the Olive Gap Farm. It was originally performed by the Be Good Tanyas and generously sponsored by the Olive Gap Farm, which is a certified organic family farm specialising in small batch native essential oils and seasonal cut flowers. I highly recommend checking out their tea tree oil online. They are located on Bundjalung country in the northern rivers of New South Wales, Australia and draw on inspiration from various sustainable farming practices to create a high quality product that's equally nourishing to us and the earth. You can check out links to their website and social media in the show Hi everyone, welcome to another Pollination Mamas podcast. I've got a guest here that I've been um, trying to track down for months. No, not really. <laughs> I think I messaged you. So I've got Jenna Shaw here from Mama Tour. Hopefully I've said that right. And I think I messaged you months ago. I was going to look back. It was months and months ago. And then, you know, life and we had a few messages back and forth and I had a break from the podcast. So it's so nice to have you here because I've been following you for so long. I think first of all through Newborn Mothers because we both studied with Julia Jones at Newborn Mothers and then following you on Insta and I just love your posts. And then something popped up about you starting a new podcast, which we'll go into, um, called Indigenous Birth Collective. And I was like, oh, yes, what a great resource. All right, let's get you on the podcast to chat about that and all the great work you do as it's um, getting close to launching. So welcome, Jenna. Thanks for making the time to be here. Thanks for having me. So Jenna is um, a doula, postpartum doula, hypnobirthing educator, birth planning educator, photographer, um, and I feel like much more. It's sort of like an encompass package that will, yeah, hopefully come to understand a bit more. And I thought it'd be great to have Jenna on here, not only because of that podcast launch, but to just see different ways that maternity and birth care and postpartum care can be delivered because it's, as it's becoming more um, common, like as more people are becoming passionate about this and really getting into it, it's so great to see all the different ways that people are offering services and being a part of kind of revitalising this mother care culture. It's really exciting. Um, yeah, and you have a really great um, package of services that you offer. So, um, yeah, I'll just let you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and how you became so passionate. You're a mother of two as well. And then, yeah, how that's led to you to where you are now. Okay, so um, before I had my two daughters, I was pregnant with a boy and um, unfortunately I lost him when I was 15 weeks pregnant 
and at the time I was living in Darwin and I didn't know anyone in Darwin and my partner um, at the time had gone away for a fight in Melbourne. So I was all alone and um, called an ambulance, went to the hospital and delivered him with just two midwives and one of them said to me, oh, is there anyone we can call? And I thought, um, I said no and then I thought, man, this is like pretty heavy to be dealing with by yourself. And then it wasn't until like about a month later um, that I realised how important it was that um, you have like the right kind of support in those moments. Like if they had have been um, nice midwives, like I think that would have been so much more traumatic. Um, yeah, so that's when I started thinking about getting into supporting women in birth, like all types of birth. Um, so I wanted to be a midwife and I enrolled to be a midwife at um, Charles Darwin University. And then we're well, back and forth between um, Darwin and, and New Zealand. And then I got pregnant. So I was like, okay, that, that just went on the back burner. And then I, once she got a little bit older, I was like, okay, I'm going to start looking into becoming a midwife again. And then I got pregnant again. <laughs> and so I'm like, man, this is just never going to happen. And I had like a bit of a moment of, getting quite upset about it like I know this is what I like I'm meant to do but how am I going to do it if I've got like two little kids and I'd spoken to um, a midwife and she's like wait until they're older like you're going to be out of the home a lot and so I thought maybe I could do um, study to be a doula and then later on transition into being a midwife and so I started looking into um courses for doulas and then the more I started looking into it I started looking into what they actually do and it wasn't until then that I realized like okay I don't want to be a midwife I want to be a doula I want to be able to support women and not have restrictions on how I can support them and what I can say so yes from then it was just that was the path and then Angela Gallo's um Instagram ad popped up and I was like, okay, this is just like divine timing. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's where I went through to from there. And then I found um, Julia Jones, Newborn Mothers Collective, um, which is where we came across each other. And uh, so I did hers because hers started before Angela Gallo's. So I started doing hers and then I was like, my mind was blowing. Like I was like, wow, like postpartum. I was the kind of person that as soon as I was out of hospital, I probably went home, got changed and then went to the shops. Like it was just like back to normal. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I just had like this completely different perspective of um, postpartum and the importance of it. So yeah, there's a bit of regret <laughs> with my postpartum experiences, <laughs> but now I'm in a better place to be um, able to help people understand the importance of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think many of us have that. <laughs> I think <laughs> I was much better with my, so yeah, as we spoke about for the podcast, so similar, like angel boy first and then two girls. And with my first daughter, I, there were aspects that are okay, but yeah, I was out of the house way too early with that little baby, <laughs> way, way too early. And then the second <laughs> I was a little bit better, but then I had a toddler and not a lot of support. So I tried to stay home for as long as possible, but I had to get this toddler out of the house. So I think, yeah, there's lots of us that have that. But how beautiful that having your daughters sort of bought you a bit of time. Like you didn't just jump into midwifery and then you found being a doula, which was actually like when you found that your heart was like, yes, this is it. So by having yeah. your daughters, that helped you get there. Yeah. I love that. And I think I, I wouldn't have the kind of, personality to deal with what midwives have to go through like I get to invest in people like it would just kill me I think yeah seeing the stuff that they have to see all the time it's tough yeah working with that system like you said the policies and restrictions and yeah what you want being a doula you can have much more of that heart-based care and um yeah your connections paused a bit can you hear me oh yeah you can hear me cool um so you've sort of over the time developed these skills. So you're a birth doula, postpartum doula, but you also teach hypnobirthing. Is that right? Yeah. So I'm not actually offering 
birth doula at the moment because okay. um, I'm not in a position to be able to leave the girls um, at the drop of a hat. But um, yeah, 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 I got into the hypnobirthing like about a year ago. Yeah, and um, I was a little apprehensive because I was like, "Is this going to align with how I feel about um, childbirth and how it works?" But it was like totally in line with it. Like they fully believe in physiological birth and undisturbed birth and but they support they also support all types of birth which is how I feel as well Mm. and yeah I learned a lot from that as well like how to um how to involve the support person Mm -hmm. like your birth partner or if that's your husband or your wife or um and that I think is really really important because I think a lot of birth support people can feel a bit left out they're not as involved as yeah. a person growing the baby inside them, yeah. Yeah, they sort of become an observer, don't they? Yeah. So actually I'd like to just sort of kind of tail back to that a bit more about the maternity care system. So from your experience of like having had various different experiences, what do you see as I think on your website I read something and it really just kind of stu- stood out to me is that, you know, you want to be a part of providing a different support within the current maternity care crisis and the impact that has on families and communities. And we hear this so often. Um, yeah, so often people come out of that and or go in without really knowing. It's just sort of like, oh, yeah, I'll go to a few classes and I'll be right and I'll just go there and work it out as I go. And then come out going, oh, my goodness, I wish I had been much more prepared. I had no idea what the maternity care system meant. And this is not to put down the amazing midwives out there doing a really great job, but they're working within a system that can be constrained. And then sometimes um, midwives can become, you you know, like in any profession, you've got (laughs) heart-based practitioners everywhere and then people that have just become a bit tainted. Maybe they're a bit tired, a bit over the system. So I'd love to hear a bit more about your perspective of that maternity care crisis and what that is, what that means and any ideas or thoughts or even if you're not sure of how we could start to remedy that so that we can really be taking care of our mothers from obviously in pregnancy but at that really amazing transition of birth. Um, Yeah, so I did like a lot of digging into my own culture and um, because a lot of historical um, accounts of Indigenous life were quite negative. So, um, and then you've got that next to how um, Indigenous people are portrayed today and it's, it's not a good look. Like, you know, we've got high statistics of um, family violence and suicide and all this stuff. And it just didn't sit right with me. I was like, there's like, where did this happen? Like, I feel like this wasn't how it used to be. And so I did like a lot of um, research into my culture and found that women were like revered and had very similar positions to men. Um, we owned land, we made major decisions, um, we were consulted. Um, periods were not taboo. They were tapu, which means... Um, like sacred and yeah so we were well looked after when we were bleeding everyone understood bleeding the men understood it um children understood it it wasn't um something you know something dirty yeah and so <laughs> you're for the listeners you're maori maori yeah yeah maori yeah 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 <laughs> among other things i'm yes. a fruit salad <laughs> yeah <laughs> beautiful delicious fruit salad (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so um I started looking into that and how women were treated um in those days and I found a really beautiful quote which um translates to women are the guardians of the house of humanity and like that really, really stuck with me. Like I write it everywhere because I think it's so important. Like we're the first everything for every human that's come onto this earth. We're the first everything. We're the first nourisher, the first nurturer, the first home, the first touch, the first teacher. 
even if that that mother's not the mother that looks after that baby once the baby's born like you're the first everything and so important and like there's all these studies that show how important um the mother's care is for that baby um yeah there's lots of ted talks on how that impacts the baby uh, yeah <laughs> So that's why it's kind of stuck with me and that's why I kind of try to like emphasize the importance of women and I feel like that is like that's the key to changing a lot of it that there's reverence for women that there's ceremony around all these like important life transitions because we don't celebrate it we we celebrate a baby coming in the clothes we're going to dress it in when it arrives like there's there's not that much celebrating the woman and what she's actually doing to create this life. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's a major thing that's going to help. <laughs> yeah. It's really, um, reculturing. I'm so glad you were able to go to your own culture and find that, that it was there. I love those yeah. when things are summed up. It's so powerful. Can you say that again? The the saying about the mother. Women are the house. Oh no, sorry. Women are the guardians of the house of humanity. Mm, wow, that's yeah. powerful. And so you said yeah. you're making up posters with that soon. Um, I've already made them. Yeah, oh, like I've got right. like, um, gold foil ones, and oh, yeah, wow. <laughs> beautiful. I'll be getting one of those. <laughs> yeah, that's really powerful. I got tingles the first time you said it pre-podcast, and even then. Yeah, and. So it's so good for, to hear from you, from your perspective, that what that's like to live through that portrayal of what life is as an Indigenous person, all of that negative projection and connotations out there. And but for you to go, uh-uh, no, this is not at the core and the essence and the spirit, how it is, how it was, let's go find what it was and bring that into what is <laughs> or remember that it's there, bring it out. That's powerful. Um, and it just sets up. Um, so your pregnancy and your birth, that basically that's your first step into parenthood. So if you're being traumatized in your pregnancy and your birth, like how is that to start off your journey as a parent? How are you able to like best support that baby and raise that baby if you're, you're not supported yourself if you're coming out of it trying you're in fight or flight coming out of birth and unable to like you know be be the strength that you need to be as a mother sorry i was on mute and then my computer i'm like clicking away oh totally it's it just still astounds me. It's like once you've had that light switch on and you see how foundational mother care and family care is and how that ripples out into the community, families and the community and the culture. It's just like, how do we get so lost? Oh, my freaking That's God. It. <laughs> That's it. And, like, you might not someone might not have a baby and they're like, oh, well, this isn't that important to me, but it should be because you're sharing the earth with these humans. Like it's in our best interest that all humans are well looked after. So they go out into the world and they're, you know, good humans to share the world with. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up non-birthing people because it's been coming up in conversation. My last podcast with Lucy from Newborn Mothers as well. So she's been helping with Mums Matter and they brought out a talk on that symposium recently. Um, Auntie, something about aunties as social mothers or something like that and sort of reculturing that idea of the importance of non-birthing um, people as well or people that don't have children, so they might not have adopted or fostered as well, how important it is for them to understand this concept but to also participate in it. And I think if we look back in any culture, some we have to go further and some not so far, aunties were just how it was like I know when I lived in Asia you just called anyone auntie out of respect or uncle the word that's used and it's the same with my mother-in-law is Filipina if we run into a Filipina woman that we know it's auntie <laughs> it's probably it's similar same, in same with us. 
Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, everyone's happy. <laughs> indigenous culture too. And I just love that. I really, there's been times where I want to incorporate that more with my friends too. And sometimes I do, but I just, and it was the same actually when I go to my grandparents' generation, I think back to what we got taught, my grandma would teach me to call someone auntie, whether it was my auntie or not. Yeah. So I think it's there. And it is so important to go back and find that link to our ancestors of when it was so alive and present because it gives mm. strength somehow. Have you found that, like that connection to the ancestral wisdom? 100%. Going into birth, um, Lenny, my eldest daughter, um, because I, was, was, I didn't grow up totally immersed in my culture really. Like I grew up in Auckland, whereas my ancestors are from um, the top of the North Island of New Zealand. And no one in my family I knew of spoke Māori. Um, like, we learnt stuff in school. But when I went to go birth... So my narrative around birth actually was... I think it had a massive impact on how um, smoothly my birth went, was, oh, Māori girls always have pretty easy births. Like, you'll be sweet. Like, you're tough. And so I always like, you know, where's the proof? But at the same time, I was like, yep, okay, I'm going, I'm going off that. <laughs> I'm like, I'll be sweet, I'm Māori. And yeah, I had like a, a smooth birth. But going into the birth, like rocking up to the hospital, I was just, I could feel my ancestors. Like, I was just like, I've got this. They've done this. They've done this so many times. My nana's birthed seven babies. And she came out on the other end, like, stronger than any person I know. Like, I'm, I'm going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's really what all women should go into birth knowing. So that's a really amazing gift that you have to share with women. Um, so the hypnobirthing, I'd love to explore that a little bit more if you could share with people. I mean, some people may have heard of it, but for people that haven't at all or people that maybe have heard of it but don't really understand it and give us a little bit of a 101, um, yeah, yeah, on what hypnobirthing is and how that can help. So I think a lot of people hear hypnobirthing and they're like, oh, this sounds like out there, <laughs> but it's not really. And even though I didn't use hypnobirthing for both of my births, I can see how things that I had learned growing up is pretty much the same thing that you learn in hypnobirthing. It's how to um, get into a deep state of relaxation. So a lot of hypnobirthing is education and debunking myths around birth, which is so, so important. Um, a lot of people fear birth. Like we see birth on, on movies and television programs and we're like, oh, I don't want to do that. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Um, so it's just debunking a lot of those myths and then teaching people how to reach a deep state of relaxation really quickly um, so that your body can work optimally in childbirth and so you're not, um, I guess, working against your body. <laughs> your brain's not working against your body. You're both in sync. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost yeah. like you need to get out of... I've heard it called like monkey mind or the brain, like the, where it's all just chatter, chatter, chatter up in the head. Because mm -hmm. we're so, especially today, um, you know, once upon a time women were just sort of delegated to the roles or in some cultures to the roles of just like housewifing, not all cultures. But, that, but today we're like so focused on information and thinking and that intellectual space and mm -hmm. to be able to kind of switch that off for a while and let the body's intelligence take over. Yeah. I found with my first birth with Bodie, my boy, um, it was a planned home birth. I ended up transitioning, but my time at home was quite amazing. And it was because, yeah, same, I didn't do hypnobirthing. I read about it, but what I was able to utilize was other skills I'd learned in yoga and breath work and meditation. Not that I do much of any of that anymore. I need to, <laughs> but I had done luckily. And I was able to tap into that and, it was quite a beautiful experience, even though later on I experienced trauma, which I unfortunately I wasn't able, I should have gone and done more like hypnobirthing or something else for my second and third labours, but the trauma got in the way. So all the fear got in the way. 
mm. from what had happened. But yeah, that little experience of being able to labor at home um, and for a, to go through those huge, a long, long labor and huge contractions and to not identify with that as pain, um, even though, yes, there was pain there, but to be able to breathe through that and feel strong, the feeling of feeling strong through it and the feeling of I've got this. Yeah. So you're working, you work with parents one-on-one, so you go into their home um, space and... Yeah, I offer private sessions at the moment. Um, I have a couple I'm starting off next week. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that. And she's a, um, a Māori mum, so that'll be cool <laughs> that yeah. they've, um, they've found that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. And is there a reason that you like to work in the home space? Is it just that ability to be, like, super comfortable and intimate? Yeah. Um, I think also, like, I haven't been doing it this long, uh, building that confidence. And I, I'm I actually deaf in one ear, so I find it, Sometimes a lot of people, with, uh, if there's a lot of people around, like it gets a bit overwhelming for me because I've got to really, really listen and look at someone's face to be able to hear properly and, yeah. and not be the person going, pardon, pardon, pardon. Yeah. Oh, that's good yeah. to know. Okay. Yeah, wow, that's fantastic. You've found a way that works for you with that. <laughs> um, and so I feel like maybe I want to inquire a little bit more about hypnobirthing and then so with the parents that you've worked with what's been the feedback with how they yeah it's been really, um i've just done the one couple so far yeah. um and like i had like the dream couple for my first hypnobirthing um course um yeah so i you know michelle palacia mm. i don't think i do Oh, okay. Well, she's a doula and it was one of her clients because we met through Angela Gallo's in-person training. Okay, yeah. We, yeah. Um, so I put my feelers out and she said, I have a couple. And, yeah, they had they had a really great birth. They laboured at home um, for most of it and then went into hospital. And, yeah, they were a great couple. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fantastic. And so the Indigenous Birth Collective podcast that's super yes. exciting. Tell us a bit more about the vision and where you're up to and what you hope to offer. So I was talking to uh, a friend that I met on Instagram. She was, at the time, she was doing a bit of doula work and she's a Māori girl and we connected on Instagram and she's like, you want to meet? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and um, we clicked straight away. And we were sitting there talking the first day that we met each other and we're like, I feel like there's got to be more Indigenous people doing this kind of work, but you don't really see them. There's not many that you can see on Instagram. And I was like, maybe we need to like make a space where we, we all are so we can like share information and um, make connections and stuff like that. And she's like, yeah. And so I kind of didn't really, I made a Facebook group and I, there's maybe about, eight or nine people on there, um, not just Māori, but um, we've got a couple of Aboriginal women and um, Pacific Island, like it's any Indigenous birth worker and death worker and embodiment worker is, um, is welcome to join because they're all so intertwined. Um, mm. And I think the reason like I felt like it should be all of us is because we're so similar, like, even though our practices, our ceremonies might be different, like, they're based on the same thing. And, like, with um, the Newborn Mothers Collective, you see, like, even across the world, they just have very similar um, foundations, I guess. So I made that, didn't really do anything with it. And then um, while doing the Not Another Childbirth Class event, um, I kept, people kept asking, oh, where do I find positive birth stories? And I was like, oh, there's this podcast, Australian Birth Stories, it's really good. You should check that out. And I kept saying that over and over. And the more I said it, I was like, why don't we have a podcast where it's like our stories where we can relate? Because we do have different experiences like in, in our current day, what it's like to be an Indigenous person. And um, yeah, so I was like, 
with everything I've done pretty much, I'm like, oh, there's this gap. There needs to be that. Okay, why don't I just do that? <laughs> and so I just created, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this podcast. And then I talked to Maha Al Musa about um, the podcast and she's like, you've got to make a directory. And I'm like, okay, like after about three hours on Skype with her, I was just like, yep, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> and so it's just started from there. Fantastic. Yeah, I think fantastic. When you post it, I was like, yes, brilliant. Can't believe this hasn't happened before, but it's happening now. That's great. What a great resource. <laughs> I'll um, let my cousin know. She lives in Sydney, but she's an um, Indigenous doula as well okay. and mama. Yeah, she's got a site oh. birthing on country. And she's sort of just in the beginning phases too. But yeah. super passionate and, yeah, she would love something like that. Yeah. So yeah. I'm keen to get, yeah. Just get everyone on there sharing info. And then for um, expecting parents to be able to find someone that they can relate to, like I've, even when, um, and when I was in Darwin with my first pregnancy, I went to go see um, a massage. She was like a pregnancy, specialised in pregnancy massage. And I was just like, well, like this lady's a bit like out there. Like I'm a bit witchy and woo-woo and stuff, but she was like really out there. And I was just like, oh, like I felt a little bit intimidated. <laughs> and I think that's pretty common for people um, like Maori and Pacific Islanders. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I think just finding someone that you can relate to is really handy. And not to know that you're not the only kind of like person looking for that. <laughs> Hey there, I'm Julia. I'm interrupting this podcast to let you know that if you are really enjoying this podcast, you'll probably really enjoy newborn mothers too. We provide online courses for professionals and mothers worldwide who believe birth is about making mums too. You'll find all the links in the show notes. Enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah, I think that's pretty important. And, um, so since looking into all of that, have you been able to learn more about the Maori mother care and birthing yeah. postpartum care culture? Yeah, to an extent, um, like it's all been online stuff, so articles and videos and stuff like that. And I think um, once I go back to New Zealand, it'll mm. be a bit easier to find find out stuff. And I plan on going up to where I'm from and like exploring um, that a bit more um, but yeah I have I have learned to fear a bit and yeah I just love that kind of stuff like and, and not just Maori culture like Samoan culture Aboriginal culture like it just I love it <laughs> mm. yeah because it's so rich in in culture but in mother care culture as well there's a lot there but it's almost I just love making all those connections like there's so many connections it's just so similar in all these different countries and I think it's really cool and then also like people that are quite disconnected from their culture and they're not even aware of those things like to them a hospital birth and um, just following what the doctor says that's just automatically where they default to and whereas I can be like did you know that in your culture you used to do this and sleeping with your baby was like normal and safe when done right so, um, yeah, I really love being able to, like, explore that. Mm. Yeah, and I like that you mentioned that it's also the, the death jewelers as well because when you look back to traditional midwives before medicalisation, it seems like those traditional midwives were more than carers for birth and new mothers. They also provided the care for death sometimes for sickness, they were sort of like the carers that had lived expertise and passed down through the generations type of expertise in birth, life, death, sickness, herbs, certain food. Yeah. Just the wise like, woman of the village. They were the wise women of the village, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And really revered and looked after as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad when, because I've been researching my own lineage, the Irish lineage mostly, which there's a bit, it's hard to find as well. It's all online. Um, and there's a bit there because they were uh, Christianised later than other parts of Europe. 
So they stayed um, pre-Christianized for longer. And then even when Christian Christianity came, they kind of were able to maintain both for longer than other countries. Um, so, yeah, similar, like women owned land, they had rights, they had political say. There's all this evidence there of that. But um, when things became medicalised, that's when those wise women lost, weren't able to practice. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad. It's, there's like a, there's a <laughs> grieving aspect. Have you found that? There's like a grieving aspect to looking into this and going, oh, there's so much we've lost, but then there's also excitement to revitalise that. Yeah, like I'm massively interested in how religion has impacted um, culture. Like I feel Indigenous people were a bit lucky in, in the way that it, we weren't impacted as early as other people, so we can still kind of find information and still kind of was practised, um, whereas a lot of the, like, Western cultures, yeah, like women were burnt at stakes or... Yeah, it's pretty Yeah, crazy. that's an interesting perspective. So even though you're up against other challenges today with prejudice and inequity and things like that, there's still, yeah, you can see that that culture was like intact up until much more recently. Yeah. Mm. So um, any little teasers for what the podcast topics will be and any guests? <laughs> No, I've got like a few people lined up. Um, I've got someone to talk about their free birth. Um, there's like a few home births. I actually, um, it's just an idea at this stage, but I'm like working out how I'm going to do this. Um, I want to do a video on uh, the partners of birthing people, Indigenous partners that have home birthed because... I feel like for um, Indigenous men, it can be a bit daunting doing something outside of the norm. Like we, we have like a tall poppy syndrome. Like as soon as someone starts to do something a little bit different, it's quite often knocked like, well, what do you think you're doing? Like keeping your lane kind of thing. So um, having that as a resource for couples where the, um, the birthing person might be interested in home birthing, but her partner isn't um convinced yet just seeing a video of um other indigenous men talking about their experiences can make a big difference i think i love that that is brilliant because yeah you really need the partner on board and if there's any resistance there and it's usually out of care and love they're worried or they're concerned or they're just not they don't understand it but by getting the men on board like you've just doubled the power and the strength of that that yeah. unit, that decision. Brilliant. Awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, that's what I wanted to touch on. Um, so you've got, you do a childbirth class called Not Another Childbirth Class. <laughs> I love the yes. name of. Love it. Tell us um, about what Not Another Childbirth Class is. <laughs> so it um, started as an event um, and it was another one of those lying in bed thinking if only women knew what they were, what was going to happen when they went into birth, <laughs> there needs to be like some sort of event where they just like presented with all this information. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'll make this event. <laughs> Why didn't I just make this event? So, and I knew um, all these great birth workers that I'd met through um, Instagram or Angela Garlow's course and even my hypnobirthing course. So I was like, okay, I'm going to ask all these people and pray that they say yes. <laughs> Everyone said yes. Um, so our first event was in uh, Brisbane and it was really great. And I wanted it to be, um, and this is not taking a dig at people that have like um, events in halls or anything, but I wanted it to be something really special. Like we had mocktails and canapes and waiters walking around with food and it was in like a really nice space like because I feel like that's lost like the ceremony like celebrating your pregnancy and the importance of it so we, we had a really pardon yeah exactly for weddings, so <laughs> I kind of feel like pregnancy and birth is even bigger than a wedding <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
um, yeah, and I wanted it to be something that people are like, looking forward to. Like when they get pregnant, they're like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to go to that event. That'll be cool. And so they're like learning but also celebrating. Um, so I had eight speakers for the first event and um, each speaker t- spoke on a different topic that um, I felt was really important for people to know about before they um, gave birth. Um, so things like the cascade of intervention, um, the third stage of labor, um, what else? Your connection with your body, um, just all of these sort of things. And also um, we had Holly's wife, who's from the Rainbow Families Queensland, um, talk about, um, sorry, the experiences for the LGBTQI community. Um, Yeah, and then also I had the website set up, which had extra resources in it, so you could print stuff off, like a card with the brain acronym that you could take into hospital, and just like topics that I came across um, with my first baby and only found out through Googling after the fact and was like, if I had known this before, like it would have saved me like 3 a.m. Googling (laughs) next to my baby, thinking what's wrong with my baby. Um, So I just made like a bunch of infographics up and then I was going to run the second event and COVID happened. And then I had a doula message me and she's like, why don't you do like something online? I was like, cool, I'm going to do that. (laughs) So then I had 20 people because I could ask people from anywhere now. And we had about 90 something um, attendees do the web series. So we had 10 webinars with two speakers on each webinar discussing different topics. Um, Yeah, and I've had really good feedback from everyone. And it was really cool just to even see like the comments coming through like, wow, I didn't know this. And now I'm going to look into that. So we're not giving you answers to everything. We're not saying you've got to do this or you should do that. It's just, we're talking about the topic and we're saying, this is what happens. This is some of the evidence based information. Um, Now, you know, where to go and look for what suits your family, what suits you um, and make more informed decisions that suit you rather than what a doctor is telling you or what's, what someone else is telling you. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, once upon a time that would have just been handed over by neighbours, friends, aunties, mother. So you sort of bring it back from, I mean, we'll probably always Google, but kind of bringing it back to another option where it's that personal handover of lived experience plus evidence-based knowledge as well. And I think that's so yeah, important leading up to birth because, like we said, you want to get out of your head a bit more. And if you're on your own just Googling all the time, it's hard to get back into the body and the embodiment and into your intuition in the early days as well. So to have that information. How do you know what to Google? Like, yeah. how do you know what to Google? Exactly. They don't talk about it in your antenatal appointments. You don't, you don't know that they might give you an injection for something that might have this, like, flow-on effect. You just don't know that until it happens and you're trying to figure out why the end picture happened. Yeah. And then you kind of like go back, oh, oh, it was this, it was this, it was this decision. And I made, might have made a different decision if I had known this then. Yes. Yeah. So that's what it is. It was just mostly being able to give people an idea of the things that they need to look into mm. before they got into hospital or wherever. Yeah, so important. Actually, I'm mindful of time, but um, since you mentioned that again, that flow on effect, and you mentioned the cascade of interventions, if you could just explain that term for people so they understand what that means. We don't have to go into too much detail, but just the basic understanding. Yeah, so the cascade of intervention, um, it can happen as early as before you even go into birth and la- uh, go into the hospital and labour. Um, because your care provider, I'm not saying all care providers, but might start framing what might happen in a particular light. And so you're thinking, okay, maybe I should start having a more medicalized birth. And then you go into hospital and they put you on the CTG and people think, oh, you know, that's in the best interest of the baby. Like it's better to be safe than sorry. But really if you go to evidence um, based information, you'll find out that doesn't really have that much impact at all. 
um, whereas um, intermittent mon monitoring um, can have the same kind of play the same kind of role. Um, and then, yeah, it's just a cascade. So once that happens, they're looking more closely at certain things and um, they might, maybe your labor will st stall because you're in a hospital now. And even though you're, you might not be thinking it consciously, your body's like, okay, this is where sick people go. This isn't, this isn't a safe place. And so your body goes into fight or flight and it, pauses um pauses your labor and then the doctor's like oh well, this looks like you're not progressing fast enough like something might be wrong here let's look at doing something else so they give you some syntocin and then the syntocin might cause a fever and then they're like okay maybe your baby's in distress now let's look at doing something else and it's just like the flow-on effect until um next thing you know you're having a c-section and it could have been completely prevented if you had been informed prior and um, made decisions where you checked in with yourself and decided, okay, I feel all right, my baby feels safe. And um, I know from evidence-based information that that kind of monitoring doesn't really have any um, better impact on the birth or the outcome for baby. Um, so yeah, that's basically the cascade of intervention. Mm, yeah, no, it's really good that to understand that and you explained it well. And yeah, if you don't know, you don't know. And, and yeah. you, once you're in there and you're in the flow, it's really hard. You, you often don't look back until later and go, oh, whoa, yeah, it's like a domino effect. And it's quick. It's really quick. You're really vulnerable. And there's no and need for guilt or shame afterwards. So many of us have been through that. But yeah, to going empowered and to understand that process before. Such great knowledge that you're sharing. And how many women are, are given at the end of this um, possibly traumatic birth, the comment, oh, lucky you were here. Like, yeah, at least you've they, got a baby. They it. Like I've yeah. spoken to so many birthing people and they're like, oh, it's good that I was in hospital because they had to do all this stuff to me. And I don't want, like, I don't want to be negative. So I'm just like, okay, we'll just leave it at that. But in my head, I'm just like, that could have been completely prevented. Possibly because more often than not. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's needed, but more often than not, there's, we know from evidence that there's an overt use of interventions and that really yes. needs to be looked at because yeah, once you get to the other end, it's confusing, possibly traumatic. Um, also the physio, if we're guided by physiology, just how that impacts your hormones and your whole physical recovery as well. Yeah. Yeah. It was so great, the work you're doing. Thank you for coming on. I think you've been chatting for almost an hour. It's great. Is there... <laughs> oh, no, no. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> There's so much to cover because you, you really do offer such a broad package. Oh, and you do photography as well, which is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. That's it's not that. something that I ever thought I would get into, <laughs> but I love it. I love it so much. How did I it just did a shoot a couple of days ago with... Um, all, all Māori woman. Mm. Beautiful. Like, Semi-nude on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. How did it come about? How did the photography start to happen? Uh, so when I got into studying to be a doula, my um, sister actually said, oh, you know, you should like learn photography as well so you can take photos at the birth. And, and I had done photography for like a semester in high school and I was terrible at it. <laughs> So I was just like, oh, I don't think I should do that. Like, I don't think I'd be very good at it. And then she was like, no, just look into it. And so I trained with um, Lacey Barrett. I did her online course and um, I photographed a birth and I just loved it. I was just like, wow, this is cool. And then, yeah, just then I met friends that like to get nude and I just started taking pictures of them. And, <laughs> and then, yeah, like now you can't stop me. I love it. Awesome. That's fantastic. And it seems, it can sound superficial to some people, but especially in the birth and postpartum, often the mums don't get photographed much, except for some selfies. Yes. <laughs> people sort of just forget <laughs> and then that time's gone. And I know you're doing photography beyond that and it's beautiful, especially like the young girls and then women. And, but it's part of, I, I feel like, 
it's part of the reverence of mother as part of honoring the mum is to capture that moment and to create that to be beautiful, even if it's in a raw way, even if it's just sitting there with, you know, your boobs sore and whatever, it's still captured, still those intimate moments are captured to remember and that's part of honouring. I know I've looked back sometimes and gone, oh, there's no photos of me. Did, like, and then you kind of go into, did no one care about me? Did no one love me enough to take, you know, this poor me pity thing? And it's not. Yeah. It's just that reculturation again that we need to change it to go, wow, look at you. You did this amazing job of birthing no matter how it happened. You're caring mm-hmm. for this baby. Let's capture this so that you can remember how freaking awesome you are <laughs> that's, that's exactly what i said um the last birth that i photographed was for a friend and i took her um photos over like a couple of days after and i was like any day that you you're feeling crappy <laughs> and you're feeling you know not like the best mum, i'm like look at this picture of your baby coming out of you like and then you'll be like no i am a superwoman i'm like a freak of nature magical <laughs> yeah i love it (laughs) awesome well thanks jenna i really look forward to um the podcast coming out and i'll yeah i'll be sure to share it and i'll pop up links to your website but if you can just let people know uh your website address and your handle on instagram so my um my doula page in hypnobirthing and photography is um, Mama Tour, M-A-M-A-T-O-A dot com. I think it is. <laughs> I think yeah, I had it up before. Um, I'll put links and up in the show notes. The Indigenous Birth Collective isn't live, but it should be soon. That's just indigenousbirthcollective.com. And then my Insta handle is Mama Tour Doula. So M-A-M-A-T-O-A underscore D-O-U-L-A. And then Indigenous Birth Collective is Indigenous Birth Collective. <laughs> and then, sorry, and Not Another Childbirth Class is um, not another childbirthclass.com and at Not Another Childbirth Class. Okay. Oh, so they've got separate pages. That's good for me to know. I'll um, make sure that I pop that on there too. Awesome. Yeah, and I'll put all those links in the show notes for everyone. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that. As always, we'd love for you to contact us and share any ideas you have for future podcasts and to share that with friends and family or anyone who might get something from the podcast. Leaving a review on iTunes is really helpful as well because it helps us uh, be seen and share what we're passionate about more. Thank you.